This podcast is brought to you by Free Buddhist Audio, the Dharma for your life. Our work is funded entirely by donations from our generous listeners. If you would like to help us keep this free, make a contribution at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash donate. Thank you and happy listening. So, so welcome to uh, Sangha if you've just arrived for this uh, session of the day. Um, I'm Sumudra Gosha, and I'm briefly going to be introducing Ratna Gosha this afternoon, who's going to be speaking. Um, just to say a little bit about the um, context for the for the talk, obviously it's Sangha Day, so the whole the day is obviously about spiritual community. Um, but you may remember that um, this last this last year, this last twelve months, uh, has been the year of spiritual friendship for the Cambridge Buddhist Centre for our for our Sangha. There have been a number of events, retreats, series of talks, and things connected with that theme. So that comes to an end, I suppose, in a way that culminated with the urban retreat last week on the theme of Metta, and um, today a slight shift in emphasis begins, we're entering into the year of spiritual community, and Rat Negotia is going to be sort of, if you like, launching that with this talk this afternoon. So I think Rat Negotia is a very good person to be introducing this, this year, this sort of emphasis on this theme. Um, very good person to be giving this talk to us. Partly just because he's very good at giving talks. Um, but also, more specifically, he's somebody who's lived and worked in spiritual communities for pretty much all of his 30-odd years within Tri Ratna. He's lived in large spiritual communities, you know, residential communities, he lived, he's lived in small ones, he's lived in urban communities, he's lived in a retreat centre, Padmaloka. Uh, he's worked in a number of different contexts within our movement. He's worked at Friends Foods in London. Uh, he's worked for many years at the London Buddhist Centre. He uh, was part of the ordination team at uh, Padmaloka, for a couple of years, and then more recently, he's been um, one of the directors of Windhorse Trading. So, quite a variety of experiences of the Sangha at work. And of course, he's also been part of a, a, a community in the wider in the wider context. He's been part of the Sangha. He's been the chair of London Buddhist Centre, so very much at the hub of uh, a large and thriving spiritual community and also engaged very much in the, um, the men's ordination process particularly at Padmaloka and more generally and Ratnagosha is a friend to many people and to a very wide variety of people so I think he's a very good person to be talking to us and his title is an ever widening circle so let's welcome Ratnagosha I wonder if, uh, before I start, if we could fill up that space in the middle. 
It's a bit strange standing here with an empty space, especially on Sangha Day. You know, I could feel very lonely up here if, uh, if there's nobody. If anybody who's up there would like to come down, this is the time to do it. That's lovely. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, so thank you, Samudra Gosha, for that introduction. Um, Samudra Gosha mentioned there that I'm, I've been a Buddhist for 30 years. I became a Buddhist in August 1983, which is more or less exactly 30 years ago. Uh, I was living in, in West Berlin at the time. It was, well, it was known as West Berlin then. Um, and I was just about to leave Berlin. I was just about to leave after having been there for nearly three years I was going to leave the following week and just before I left I went to visit a Buddhist temple uh, in a place called Fronau which is a suburb of Berlin I used to visit this temple fairly regularly just to read books they had bo uh, a library with books in English uh, I never read any books on Buddhism I, I read other books there uh, and they had a nice garden, so I used to just visit for that. So on this particular occasion, the last time I went there, uh, one of the monks came up to me and he said, without any preliminaries, he just said, do you meditate? And uh, at the time, as it happened, I had learned the Om Mani Padme Hum mantra from a book. I didn't know it had anything to do with Buddhism, actually. I just learned this thing, and I was repeating it. Uh, so I told him that I did meditate, and I explained what I did. And he was, uh, he was from Sri Lanka, so he, he dismissed my mantra chanting. And uh, <laughs> he sat down at a table, and he taught me the metabhavana. With the aid of a pen and paper, he taught me the metabhavana. Uh, and he explained the five precepts to me. Now, I must admit, I didn't really get the metabhavana at the time. Uh, but the precepts did appeal to me. The precepts were very practical. Uh, but what I was most struck by from that uh, encounter was uh, the, the monk himself. Uh, I became a Buddhist more or less immediately, as it were, and it was through meeting this monk. He was 63 years old, he told me. He'd been a monk for 12 years. And what came across very strongly to me was the, the congruency between what he was saying to me and the man himself, how he was, how he, how he was behaving, and how he was living his life. And so that, that congruency really strongly impressed me. Uh, his kindness and his awareness were quite palpable and left a, a really deep impression on me. Um, and I, you know, that led me to having this experience that, yes, I'm a Buddhist, and uh, that I wanted to practice. I had really very little idea what that meant, uh, but that uh, I, I knew quite intuitively from that moment that's what I wanted to do. The monk's name, by the way, was Maha Damanisanti, uh, and I never saw him again. That was uh, the, the last time I saw him. I went back to visit the temple 
about six or seven years later and he'd left and gone back to Sri Lanka so I never met him again he did ask me at the time to send him a photograph of myself so that he could put me in his, uh, his metabarbana practice and I did send him a photograph so I, I tend to think of him or have thought of him over the years as a kind of guardian angel that I, I've got somewhere in Sri Lanka uh, well if he's alive still he'd be 93 now if he's alive <laughs> Uh, about a year after that, uh, I was in London, and I picked up uh, a book called Buddhism for Today by Subuti, which uh, it was published in 1983, and it was about the history of our Tri Ratna movement up to that time. And I was immediately struck by what I read about spiritual community and about the new society, about people living and, and working together, and I decided there and then, just reading the book, I decided there and then uh, that I was going to get involved with, with this uh, organization, with these people. So that was in May 1984, and I'm still here, and I have no regrets. So just a few things to pick up from, from this story of my first steps on the Buddhist path. Uh, and I want to pick them up and contrast them with my own view of the Buddhist path at the time, what I thought Buddhism was and what actually was happening. Uh, so the things that made the biggest impression on me were the, the five precepts, uh, which gave very helpful guidelines for uh, relationships between people. Uh, the monk, Mahant Dhammanasanti, uh, impressed me with his, his kindness and his warmth and his awareness of me. Uh, and I was impressed by what I read in Sabuti's book about spiritual community, the new society, people living in communities, people working together, uh, and so on. However, although everything that made an impression on me was to do with other people and to do with community, I didn't really realize that at the time. At the time, my view of the Buddhist path was that it was mainly about meditation. Uh, and everything else was there to create conditions for meditation. And I assumed uh, that if I was going to be a real Buddhist, I would uh, go off somewhere, into the mountains preferably, and meditate alone until I was ready to come down Zarathustra-like and dispense wisdom to the world, yeah? Uh, so so that was, in my imagination, that's what Buddhism was. Buddhism was about meditation. Meditation was about having some kind of experience, some kind of big experience that would immediately endow me with wisdom, which I could then dispense to the ordinary folk, as it were. Uh, so, pretty naive... Uh, I think, well at least now after 30 years of being a Buddhist, I think that seems a bit naive, uh, a pretty limited vision of Buddhist practice and, and the Buddhist path. However, it's not an uncommon view. Uh, even in our own Tri Ratna movement, you sometimes find people referring to Buddhist practice and meaning meditation, as if meditation and Buddhist practice were synonymous. Anyway, for me, things worked out in practice very differently. Uh, and I have to say, it's taken me a long time to appreciate what Buddhism was really about. And, well, I'm still learning, still discovering uh, what that is now. 
Of course, when I became involved with Triratna, I encountered Bhante Sangharachita's teachings about spiritual friendship. Uh, and I also, because Bhante mentioned it quite often, I came across the Buddha's teaching that spiritual friendship is the whole of the spiritual life. So this is a teaching that comes out in a, in a conversation with Ananda, between Ananda and the Buddha. Uh, actually, it comes out also in a conversation between the Buddha and Sariputta. And uh, this is a little version from the Sangyutta Nikaya. Thus have I heard, on one occasion, the Blessed One was dwelling among the Shakyans, where there was a town of the Shakyans named Nagaraka. Then the Venerable Ananda approached the Blessed One. Having approached, he paid homage to the Blessed One, sat down to one side and said to him, Venerable Sir, this is half of the holy life, that is, good friendship, good companionship, good comradeship. Not so, Ananda, not so, Ananda. This is the entire holy life, Ananda. That is, good friendship, good companionship, good comradeship. And uh, there's another story where Sariputta comes to the Buddha and says, this is the whole of the spiritual life, and the Buddha agrees with him. I think most of us probably um, uh, relate more to Ananda than Sariputta. Sariputta knew it all. Uh, <laughs> we don't. <laughs> anyway, so the Buddha says quite clearly, Kalyana Mitrata is the whole of the spiritual life. Now, I knew this teaching, as I said. I encountered it probably quite early on. Uh, I repeated this teaching. I accepted this teaching. I probably gave talks about this teaching. Uh, spiritual friendship is the whole of the spiritual life. But I don't think I really believed it. I think what I really believed, in my guts, so to speak, is that meditation is the whole of the spiritual life. And that what I really needed to do was to have that experience that will transform me into the person who could dispense wisdom to the masses. So I think, possibly even for my first 10 or 15 years as a Buddhist, uh, that's what I really believed, often without even fully realizing it, as I said. However, my life didn't happen that way. For a start, I was pretty rubbish at meditation. When I, first, I remember when I first started to, to meditate, uh, I was so restless that I would sit and I would find myself ten minutes later in the kitchen making tea or something without even realizing that I'd got up from my cushion. That was the very beginning. I'm a little bit better now. Um, yeah, so later, yeah, I could sit for longer, but my mind was off doing other things. Um, and at one point I started getting headaches whenever I meditated. Um, for many years there was a real clash between my view that meditation is the most important practice and my experience of not making much progress in meditation. It was a source, actually it was a source of distress, even despair for me at times. However, somewhere during the 1990s, I managed to change my attitude and relax about meditation. And also, I did begin to understand more and more deeply that spiritual friendship might indeed be the whole of the spiritual life. I do, of course, just uh, so you know, I do, of course, meditate daily. Uh, and I believe meditation is very important, but it has to take its place among all the other practices.
So if it is true, as the Buddha said to Ananda and to Sariputta, that Kalyana Mitrata is the whole of the spiritual life, then of course it must follow that the practice of spiritual friendship is the most important spiritual practice on the Buddhist path. And since the practice of spiritual friendship implies the creation of spiritual community, it follows that the creation of spiritual community is of paramount importance to or for Buddhists. So Buddhism has at its heart the three jewels. So it's not the one jewel of the Buddha, it's not the two jewels of the Buddha and the Dharma, but the three jewels, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. Of course, the Sangha there is the Sangha of those who've uh, realized uh, the nature of reality. So, as Samudra Gosha said, we've had the year of Kalyana Mitrata here uh, at the Cambridge Buddhist Centre. And we've explored the theme in many ways, with talks and workshops and so on. Uh, and now we're going to go on to this year of spiritual community. Of course, the two are very closely related. Spiritual friendship is the practice at the heart of spiritual community. But when we talk about spiritual friendship, there might be a tendency to take a narrow view and to think in terms of me and my close friends. And then we could start to see the practice of spiritual friendship as being about the creation of a little clique of me and my friends. So we need to broaden out. We need to broaden out firstly from the view that the spiritual life is about me, uh, about me having a big experience. We also need to broaden out from the view that the spiritual life is about me and my close friends. Me and my close friends having a great experience of spiritual friendship. So we can broaden out from that and see our spiritual life in terms of creating and developing a spiritual community. And we can see our spiritual life in terms of creating and developing a, a local spiritual community here in Cambridge and in terms of contributing to the creation and development of a worldwide spiritual community. Something that we were reminded of during the urban retreat because it was something that was happening worldwide. So to get a deeper understanding of the importance of spiritual community, we need to revisit uh, the topic of spiritual friendship. Um, we need to understand again why the Buddha said that spiritual friendship is the whole of the spiritual life. So I explored this theme in a talk uh, earlier this year. Um, it was a talk called The Reality of Spiritual Friendship. I don't know where you'll find it, but you'll probably find it somewhere. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to go into all of that again. Instead, I'll just give you a quote from Bante. So this is a quote from Bhante where he states quite uh, succinctly why spiritual friendship is so important. Uh, I took this from a book called The Essential Sangharachita, by the way. So he says, the brahmacharya, or spiritual life, is that way of life that leads to the brahmaloka, or spiritual world. But how is it able to do this? To fully answer we must turn to yet another early Buddhist text. In the Mahagavinda Sutta, we find in it this very question being asked. How does a mortal reach the immortal Brahma world? 
In other words, how can one cross from the transient to the eternal? And the answer given is short and simple. One reaches the Brahma world by giving up all possessive thoughts, all thoughts of me and mine. In other words, one reaches the Brahma Loka by giving up egotism and selfishness, by giving up all sense of I. Thus the intimate connection between spiritual friendship and spiritual life starts to come into focus. Spiritual friendship is a training in unselfishness, in egolessness. You share everything with your friend or friends. You speak to them kindly and affectionately and show concern for their welfare, especially their spiritual welfare. You treat them in the same way you treat yourself. That is, you treat them as being equal with yourself. You relate to them with an attitude of metta, not according to where the power lies between you. Learning to relate to our friends in this way, we will gradually learn to respond to the whole world with metta, with unselfishness. It is in this way that spiritual friendship is indeed the whole of the spiritual life. So that's what Bhante says. Spiritual friendship is a training in unselfishness, in egolessness. You share everything with your friends, you speak to them kindly and affectionately, and show concern for their welfare, especially their spiritual welfare. So this is why spiritual friendship is the most important practice in Buddhism. So the Sangha, or the spiritual community, consists in the coming together of all those who are aiming their lives at the ideal of Buddhahood. And they're doing that by practicing the Dharma as taught by the Buddha. And the Triratna Sangha, the, the Triratna community and order, consists in all those who are aiming their lives towards the ideal of Buddhahood by practicing the Dharma as elucidated by Bhante Sangharakshita and his disciples. So the principal elements for any particular spiritual community are uh, three things. There's a common ideal. See, for us, the ideal of Buddhahood, enlightenment, whatever we want to call it. This common ideal, that's the first thing you need to have to have a, a spiritual community. There was a reading about that in the puja just now, the, about the parasols of the Lichavi youths in the Vimalakirti Nadesha, I think it was. Yeah? So there's a common ideal. Uh, then secondly, there's a common set of practices. And thirdly, a common way of talking about spiritual practice, a common language of practice. So if you're involved with, for instance, a, a, a Soto Zen community, you'll have a particular set of practices. You'll have a particular language of practice. Uh, if you're involved with a Tibetan Buddhist community, you'll have a completely different set of practices and a different way of talking about practice. Uh, if you're involved with a Theravadan Buddhist community, uh, you'll have yet another different set of practices and yet another way of communicating or talking about practice. Uh, or if you're involved with any of the other Western Buddhist communities, such as the Order of Interbeing or the communities of uh, Joseph Goldstein or Reginald Ray or others, they all have their own discourse, their own emphasis and their own main practices. 
So to be able to take communication deeper, we need a common language of practice and a common experience of practice, uh, as well as a common spiritual ideal. So those are the elements that characterize any particular spiritual community. And of course, one of the teachings that, uh, and, and practices that characterizes the Triratna community in order is the emphasis on spiritual friendship and spiritual community. There are quite a number of other things that characterize Triratna. For instance, the uh, same ordination for men and women. That's not common throughout the Buddhist world. That's something that's uh, particular to our way of practicing. So this emphasis on spiritual friendship and spiritual community is one of the uh, things that characterizes the Triratna community. It characterizes uh, Bhante Sangharakshana's teaching. Um, and because uh, this um, practice was emphasized by the Buddha and has been repeatedly emphasized by Bhante, it seems important that we do explore it uh, and explore it as thoroughly as we can. And that's what we're hoping to do in this year of uh, spiritual community. So how can we make the practice or how can we make spiritual community into a more central practice? How can we move from the natural tendency to view the spiritual life as something personal, primarily about my experience, to seeing the spiritual life as something collective and primarily about going beyond self and going beyond the seeking after personal experiences. Well, it isn't easy. We quite naturally want something out of spiritual practice for ourselves, whether it's peace of mind, ecstatic experiences, or, or profound wisdom. We'd like to be rewarded for our efforts, and why not? I like to be rewarded for my efforts. I'm sure you like to be rewarded for your efforts. So we do like to be rewarded for our efforts. And I think it's best that we just accept that we are creatures of desire. And then to look at how we can channel our desires most appropriately and most effectively. So in order to convince ourselves to engage with the practice of spiritual community, we need to convince ourselves that it is beneficial to us as well as to others. So we do have to have a healthy self-interest. If we have a strong faith in the Buddha, it may be enough for us to know that the Buddha, the Buddha said that spiritual friendship is the whole of the spiritual life. Uh, and that the Sangha should come together regularly in large numbers and so on. Or that he said in the, in the Sadaka Sutta, which is sometimes known as, known as the Bamboo Acrobat Sutta, I think. Uh, Sagra Goshi gave me this quote. Um, he said, looking after oneself, one looks after others. Look, looking after others, one looks after oneself. How does one look after others by looking after oneself? By practicing mindfulness, by developing it, by doing it a lot. And how does one look after oneself by looking after others? By patience, by non-harming, by loving kindness, by caring for others. Thus, looking after oneself, one looks after others. And looking after others, one looks after oneself. 
Or if we have a strong faith in Bante, it may be enough for us that he said, or has repeatedly said, spiritual friendship is the whole of the spiritual life. And he also said, you cannot help yourself without helping others, and you cannot help others without helping yourself. Or you might be inspired by Shantideva, uh, who's the author of our Sevenfold Puja, Mahayana teacher from India, um, can't remember which century. All those, what Shantideva says, all those who suffer in the world do so because of their desire for their own happiness. All those happy in the world are so because of their desire for the happiness of others. So all of these teachings could convince you that you need to throw yourself into the practice of spiritual community very wholeheartedly. But we can be convinced and not convinced at the same time. We can agree with the teachings, we can think that the teachings are wonderful, we love to hear them, and we feel uplifted and inspired by them, but at the same time, we don't act on them. I think this is a common experience. I hope it's not just me. I think it's a common experience. So, what are we to do? What are we to do? Well, a lot of spiritual practice, perhaps unfortunately, perhaps not, a lot of spiritual practice is simply a matter of discipline, at least initially. You need the inspiration. You need the emotional connection that motivates you. But then, it's like anything else that we want to learn or achieve, we have to put in the effort even if we don't want to. We have to traverse, as it were, the early stages in order to experience the fruits of the later stages. And this is true whether uh, you're learning a musical instrument, studying mathematics, becoming an athlete, learning a language, whatever. Sometimes we just have to do what's recommended, even if we don't find it immediately satisfying and enjoyable. But of course, when we do do it, uh, when we do what um, needs to be done, we often find that the rewards come quite quickly and our motivation then grows. So what do we need to do in order to practice spiritual community? How do we practice spiritual community? I'm going to give you four things, I think, possibly five. So the first thing is relatively simple. We just need to be friendly. Now, I say it's simple, but of course it may not be so simple for everyone. Apparently, uh, this some study was done some years ago, apparently the majority of people involved with spiritual groups are introverts by temperament. Yeah? And of course, some people can also be very shy and I can tell you from experience that if you're a very shy introvert, then being friendly may not be at all easy. I myself was extremely shy and quite socially awkward when I first got involved with Sri Ratna. Uh, and I feel very fortunate that others befriended me uh, uh, so that I was able to learn how to, uh, um, well, how to be more friendly and how to relate to people with a little less awkwardness, I hope. And then, of course, some people are prone to irritation and anger. Uh, and they may have to make a conscious effort to be friendly too. A conscious effort to be friendly and cooperative rather than critical and spiky, which is perhaps more natural. 
being friendly is a practice. It sounds simple, but for many of us, it's something we have to actually do. Another aspect of being friendly is, is hospitality. So when you've been coming along to the center here for a while, it's a good practice to look out for new people uh, and make them feel welcome. Whether they're new, just new to the center, because they come from another center, or they're completely new, it's a good practice just to practice hospitality. Um, especially if you're naturally sociable and outgoing, you can do a great service to more shy and retiring people by being welcoming. Uh, even if you're not naturally outgoing, you can help yourself, yeah? You can help yourself by thinking of others and making them feel welcome. Because often uh, people like me, <laughs> who, are, who are introverted and shy, tend not to think so much of other people, but more of the effect that they're having on me, as it were. So, yes, we can do ourselves a, a, a good by looking out for others. Then the second practice that helps to create and build spiritual community is the practice of friendship. Now, friendship is something more than friendliness. It's a matter of taking communication deeper, opening up to another person, being aware of them, uh, listening to them, and regarding them with kindness. Uh, and in time, being willing to confide and confess with them, uh, being able to and willing to accept their confidences and confessions. Spiritual friendship, as I said, is at the heart of spiritual community. And it's our network of friendships that in the end constitutes the spiritual community. Then there's the practice of generosity. So ideally, in a spiritual community, everything works on the basis of generosity. Ideally. It would ideally be what we might call a dana society, a world in which we all gave what we could in terms of time, money, energy. We gave what we could to the collective efforts, and we all got what we needed in terms of guidance and friendship and help and so on. Of course, our spiritual community is probably not ideal, probably not perfect, and, well, you could say that's all the more reason uh, why we need to practice generosity and support each other and support the collective work that's channeled through the Buddhist center. So in this context, generosity means giving time, giving energy, uh, giving money to help the center with its work, um, and giving energy and time to the building of Sangha, to the creation of spiritual community. It also means participating in the center's activities, not just for your own sake, uh, but for the sake of others too. Uh, I think this is an important point. I just want to dwell on this for a little bit because I've often heard people say, oh, oh I didn't get much out of that or oh, it wasn't for me or whatever. But I think, uh, again, you can look at all the things we do in terms of what I get for myself or you can think you're contributing to creating a context and creating a situation that benefits others. So you may not feel you're immediately getting something from it, but actually by building and creating that context, you are getting something and you will get something because the context will be there for you as well. 
So it means, as I say, participating in the centre's activities, not just for your own sake, but for the sake of others too. It means being willing to help out, contributing our, our skills and abilities to help the collective efforts. Um, just now, actually, there's a, there's a particular opportunity here at the centre, because the centre is going through quite a big period of transition. Fajr Devi is leaving, and uh, Tara Das is training up to take on some of the work that she did. But during this time of change, there's going to be a lot of um, uh, pressure, as it were, on uh, all of the team here, all of the, the centre team. Uh, Abaya Mati, who does an enormous amount of work behind the scenes. Uh, Lee, who keeps tabs on the finances. And uh, Liz, who's made a, a huge difference to the property maintenance and safety. Uh, and, of course, Tejas Feeney, um, Artist City, Vajradevi, Tara Dasa. They all need uh, our help, our support, and our goodwill. So I would think, in this, particularly in this period of transition, if we see something... Uh, not happening as it used to. Uh, let's not complain. Just, let's just find a way to help. Yeah? So generosity is a key practice in Buddhism because it contains the seeds of compassion, the great compassion, which is nirvana. And by practicing generosity, we're very directly beginning the process of dissolving egotism and simultaneously developing the positive mental states of non-attachment, which is the, the ground from which uh, compassion grows. So the fourth practice that helps to create and develop spiritual community is the practice of awareness, especially in this context, awareness of other people. Uh, so communication only really works when there's awareness. Uh, and one of the best ways... Uh, of being aware of others is to listen to them. You have to listen not just with your ears but with your eyes because so much of communication is wordless. So perhaps in this year of spiritual community we should pay particular attention to awareness of others, listening to others, observing, noticing Yes, just being aware of others, being aware of others as human beings, as spiritual beings. So following on then from these four practices, being friendly, friendship, uh, generosity and awareness, there's one more practice uh, which is both crucial to the creation of spiritual community and to the spiritual community expressing itself in the world. And this is the practice of cooperation, which is both simple and profound. So the main thing the spiritual community is trying to do in the world is to create the conditions for more and more people to live meaningful lives, imbued with the values of kindness and awareness, and it's also trying to create opportunities for those who wish to to actually join the spiritual community. And in order to create the conditions for more and more people to live full, meaningful lives imbued with the values of kindness, awareness, uh, and, uh, and to create opportunities for them to, to 
join the spiritual community. It's not enough for us to it's not enough for us to talk about metta and mindfulness. It's not enough for us uh, to talk about spiritual community. We have to live it. We have to exemplify it to some degree, to embody it. So just as in, in my case, it was meeting with, with a monk, Mahadamanisanti, and having a strong sense of the way he embodied uh, uh, what he talked about, um, it was, it was that meeting, it was that uh, sense of the, the congruency between what he talked about and, and uh, what he embodied, that changed my life. Uh, and so it's similar in the case of any of us who practices. We need to allow the Dharma to transform us into kind, aware, and cooperative people. And that transformation will convey the spirit of the Dharma to others. So if we want to share the Dharma with others, we have to live it. If we don't live the Dharma, we can't share it. We can only talk about it. If we do live the Dharma, we will be sharing it and giving it, whether we talk about it or not. So the spirit of the Dharma and the spirit of Sangha is mutual helpfulness. And this mutual helpfulness manifests in cooperation. So sometimes we want to do things in our own way. Even quite ordinary things like washing the dishes or vacuuming the floor or something like that. We may have our own way of doing it and we may want everyone else to do it in the same way. Uh, and if they don't, we may become quite irritated or critical. And then when it comes to things like creating a shrine or giving a talk, we may also have our own way and want others to do it in the same way. It can be quite hard to cooperate, to bear in mind the objective needs of a task uh, and uh, rather than our own subjective preferences. So we are going to have preferences, obviously, but the spiritual work, you could say, the spiritual work is not about not having preferences, it's trying not to overly identify with our preferences. Not to overly identify with our subjectivity, our feelings about things. Instead we try to cooperate and allow space to others, to their ideas and their methods. So in terms of creating and developing spiritual community, one of the best things we can do is to join in with all sorts of projects and do our best to cooperate with others. So it could be as simple as running a jumble sale or supporting a class or supporting a weekend retreat or painting the centre or clearing up after a festival day. The main thing is to get involved and to practice cooperating. Uh, you could say that the key to spiritual community is participation. I was thinking that could be our, our catchphrase for the, for the year. Participation, participation, participation. That's a reference to Tony Blair for those. So when, when, when it works well, we can get to when participation and cooperation works well, um, which I've, I've experienced this, we can get to a point where people are working together almost telepathically. 
there is so much awareness of others and of the task in hand that very little needs to be said and the energy just flows. And when that happens, there is an experience of what spiritual community can really be like. Energies intermingling without obstruction and a, and a, a joyful sense of achievement. So looked at from one point of view, the spiritual life is all about the dissolving of egotism and coming to a realization that there is no fixed and separate self for ego. It's about seeing through the deluded nature of most of our views and the actions that follow from those views. Looked at from another point of view, the spiritual life is all about developing spiritual friendships and creating the spiritual community. And it's necessary, I think, to look at the spiritual life from both of these standpoints, to practice from both of these standpoints. Uh, and if we do that, we will be aiming our lives at both wisdom and compassion. So uh, by practicing from both standpoints, the standpoint of dissolving our egotism and the standpoint of creating spiritual community, uh, we will eventually see and experience that wisdom and compassion are one, not two. So today I want to emphasize the practice of spiritual community as a path to transcendent insight. So with, with many meditation and contemplation practices, we approach the question of self and other from the angle of seeing through self. Uh, with the practices of spiritual friendship and spiritual community, we approach the problem of self from the angle of other. The problem of self and other, you could say. Uh, we approach so close to other that the boundaries start to dissolve, and we arrive at this beautiful intermingling of energies that naturally dissolves away our fixed self-delusion. And for this to happen, our, our uh, engagement with spiritual friendship and spiritual community has to be quite intense and ongoing. Um, meeting for a coffee once a week probably wouldn't be enough, as it were. No more than meditating once a week is enough. Yeah? Some people solve this by living with other Sangha members and are working alongside other Sangha members. Uh, this is not going to be possible for everyone, uh, or all the time. However, I would say, if your circumstances do allow you to change your living arrangements, then I would encourage you to consider experimenting with communal living. You don't need to think in terms of joining some existing uh, setup. You could just think in terms of sharing a flat or uh, a house with some Buddhist friends. Uh, first, you need to get to know people <laughs> as well as you can. Yes, I speak from experience there. Uh, and then you need to probably lay down some basic ground rules, such as perhaps being vegetarian and uh, cooking, taking turns cooking for each other and so on. But if, you're, if your circumstances are such that living with friends uh, from the Sangha is, is a possibility, then I'd encourage you to try it. Uh, if it's not a possibility, then you need to try to share your life with your Sangha friends as much as possible. Uh, visiting each other's houses, sharing activities, helping each other out and so on. 
Uh, as regards working together, again, this may not be possible. Uh, however, there may be a number of people in the Sangha who work in the same profession. Uh, for example, teaching or medicine or social work or construction or whatever. And it may be beneficial to get together sometimes with people who work in the same profession to explore how best to practice in that particular world, that particular environment. How do you bring the precepts in? How do you deal with office politics and gossiping? Uh, how do you keep up a, a, a daily meditation practice? How do you communicate your Buddhist values without alienating and annoying your colleagues? Uh, perhaps some people may even be able to work for the same institution and, and support each other in that way. So there are things like that to explore, to think about how you intensify, as it were, your practice of spiritual friendship and spiritual community. So how can we make the most of this year for exploring uh, the practice of spiritual community? Now, of course, there are many things that we're already doing that contribute hugely to developing the spirit and practice of spiritual community among us. Uh, there are all the, the courses and classes at the centre, the festival days, the retreats, the Mitra study groups, the Mitra evenings, the going for refuge groups, the order chapters, the uh, outreach groups, and so on. And I would just like to encourage us, and I'm including myself here because I need to be encouraged, to participate as fully as possible in the activities of the centre as part of our year of spiritual community. As I said, participation is the key to building spiritual community among us. And I would like to especially emphasise retreats. Uh, retreats are obviously very good for deepening uh, your experience of meditation, but they're also very good for uh, deepening your friendships, deepening your experience of friendships. And I've noticed over the years that deeper friendships are more likely to develop on retreats. Uh, and historically, it was the experience of enjoying being on retreat that led people to experiment with coming and living. So I'd really like to emphasize retreats to encourage people to go on retreats when they can, whether it's for a weekend, a day, a week, two weeks, or whatever. Uh, other things already happening that, that really enrich the Sangha here are the young people's group, uh, the choir. Um, it'd be great to see more people coming together to enjoy films or poetry, uh, or drama, or whatever, some cultural activities that stimulate thought and discussion and also build uh, bonds between us. Uh, there are all, all sorts of other interests, such as ecology or veganism, which is good to explore in the, in the context of the Sangha. Also, I think, uh, things like money and uh, economics. These are things which we're all um, also are touched by but uh, we need to be aware of our, uh, as it were, a Buddhist approach to the world of money and economics and, and aware of what our attitudes are and what the attitudes of the world around us are and so on. It would be very good to be able to explore that in the Sangha context over the coming year. So during the coming year there will be some... Uh, 
special events as well as the existing Sanger building. We don't yet know what they'll be, what all of them will be. In fact, you know, people are, uh, can come forward and uh, say what they would like them to be. Uh, one thing that will happen is that Artapria is going to explore the whole theme of spiritual community with a, a series of talks uh, sometime during the year. And I'm sure lots of others will want to contribute to the year in other ways. So the main point I want to leave you with is that spiritual community is a practice in itself, uh, as well as being a context that uh, supports our practice. It's the practice of participating and cooperating in our collective work and activities. Uh, it's the practice of going beyond narrow self-interest and developing kindness and compassion. And it's a practice that's not divorced from the realities of life. It is possible, I think, to meditate and have your head in the clouds. It's possible to become deluded sometimes about your, the depth of your um, awareness and compassion and so on. In fact, uh, in, in the Digha Nikaya, the 64 wrong views, a huge amount of them come out of meditation experience. But when you meet people and when you communicate in an honest, open and authentic way, then you have to be present. You have to have your feet on the ground. And uh, that's the practice. In the end, Buddhism is all about practice. Buddhist compassion is not an idea. It's something you do. Buddhist awareness is not an idea. It's something you do. Buddhist ethics are not pleasant ideas. They're practices that you're trying to do all the time. And the Sangha is the context in which we can learn to put Buddhism into practice more and more thoroughly. And creating the Sangha is the practice of putting our Buddhist ideas into action. The Buddha spent his whole life teaching the Dharma, sharing his understanding of life with others. And by doing this, he gradually created a spiritual community. And because of that spiritual community which he created, the Dharma has come down to us as a living tradition. The Sangha, the spiritual community, embodies the Dharma and keeps it alive. We are the Sangha, we are the spiritual community, and our task is to embody the Dharma and keep it alive and share our understandings with others so that the Sangha continues to grow an ever-widening circle. And that, that Sangha, that growing Sangha, can be a catalyst and a context for the spiritual transformation of more and more individuals. And in that way, it can be a tremendous force for good in the world. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Please help us keep this free. Make a contribution at freebuddhistaudio.com forward slash donate. And thank you 